Welcome to Mayfield Baptist Church. We are very excited to have you with us here. We do encourage you to follow us on our social media, which you can access through our website at mayfieldbaptist.com. Please feel free to like and subscribe to this podcast to keep you up to date with our latest messages. We do hope you enjoy this recent message from NBC, that it may help you connect to God, grow in your faith and serve in your own context. Um, yeah, so we're entering um, a series on the Minor Prophets and as we just talked about, um, they are called the Minor Prophets because they are shorter in their writings. Um, in the Hebrew Bible, they're lumped together. They're in the one book called the Book of the Twelve. Um, and there's a good article on the Gospel Coalition website that you might want to check out as we come into this series um, called Introduction to the Minor Prophets. It gives some good background information that might be helpful over the, the next few weeks. And it draws out the strong links and the unified message that they present. Um, so this is a quote from that article. The so-called minor prophets are anything but minor. As a collection, they speak with a unified voice the message of God to a wayward people during the most tumultuous times in Israel's history. And so something that we really need to keep in mind when we're looking at prophets and prophecy is that while there's an element of foretelling events, um, that's not the point. Um, Rather than foretelling, forthtelling is more appropriate understanding. The revealing of God's view of what will happen and why. Um, It functions in a number of ways um, to call people to turn to God in repentance So in cases like Jonah, that's what was happening there and what was proclaimed might might not necessarily be what happened. Um, So in the case of Jonah, we might think that um, God has not revealed the whole picture and he's left out sort of the beginning, the if you do not repent bit, and then the ending of but if you you do repent, I won't do it. Um, So it's not always a foretelling. Um, So other times, and like the book we're going to look at today, Habakkuk, falls into this category, prophecy does foretell events, uh, but it does so for the purpose of making those that are faithful to God aware of what's coming and to provide strength and comfort and endurance that they'll need to make it through what's to come. And so we'll have a quick look at the setting of the book of Habakkuk. Um, So he's writing around the same time as Jeremiah somewhere between 626 and 605 BC, when the Babylonians are possibly just starting to become a powerful nation um, and developing a reputation for violence and destruction of the nations that they conquer. Um, they had, um, Judah had already been through periods under Assyrian and Egyptian control. And in Habakkuk, um, we see that the book, its structure falls into five sections. So we've got Habakkuk's first complaint, followed by God's response, followed by a second complaint from Habakkuk or him um, questioning God's response, and then another response from God, and then finally a psalm of reflection. So we're going to actually read all the way through Habakkuk this morning as I'm talking. Um, It's not that long of a book. It's three chapters, and we're going to read the whole thing. So we'll start with Habakkuk. 1, 1 to 4, which is the opening complaint of the prophet. 
the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk is distressed by what he's seeing in Judah at the time. The people have turned away from God and the society is far from the just community that they're called to be as God's people. And it drives the prophet to cry out to God in prayer and question why God isn't acting. And the language used becomes more urgent. So in verse 2, we see that the first word used um, when he cries out to God is, uh, it's been a long time since I've done Hebrew. My pronunciation was never great, but we'll give a couple of words a go. Um, So the first word that he uses is Shabbat, which is to call for help. Um, The next time he uses it in verse 2, it's actually um, Za'ak which means to cry out in in distress in a time of crisis or to summon. Um, It's a type of cry that God often responded to in Judges when the people repented this way. Um, So Habakkuk becomes more distressed as he's um, talking with God about the situation and God's inaction. Um, He sees within his own nation and also broader in the world Um, that injustice is abounding and corruption is prevalent. In verse 4, he says, Therefore, the law is paralysed. The wicked hem in the righteous. Because of the extent of the corruption in the society, God's law is not being upheld by those responsible and the righteous are not able to bring about justice. He sees that it's only God's action that will be able to do this. Then we move into God's first response in verses 5 to 11. Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallop headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle. Um, Sorry, I've lost my place. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on. Um, Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So I think it's safe to say that this is not the answer that the prophet expects. Um, In fact, in verse 5, God says this. He says that he's going to do something in, in your days that you would not even believe, even if you were told. Um, so given verses 1 to 4, where Habakkuk's been asking God why he's not acting to bring justice on the corruption of Judah, 
this response is God saying, just because you don't see what I'm doing, it doesn't mean that I'm not dealing with the situation. And, hey, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, um, but you're not going to believe it. In verse 6, God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians who sweep across the whole nation. The answer God gives is that an ungodly, fearsome nation is being put in place to bring God's wrath against the covenant people who've turned their backs on God. And as we'll see, Habakkuk doesn't want to believe it. So moving on to Habakkuk's second complaint in verses 12 to 17. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? And then the first verse of chapter 2. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So verse 12, the very beginning of Habakkuk's response, plays out just as God said in verse 5. It's understood by experts in Hebrew that verse 12 is like an insult, saying to God, I thought you were infinitely good and wise, but how can you let this happen? It doesn't fit with your character to let people who are worse than we are continue their evil destruction throughout the world. Um, He's wrestling with what he knows of of his God and he is still referring to God as my God, my rock, not rejecting him. So he's wrestling with the plan that God has said he'll use and how these two things seem inconsistent, the character of God and what God said he's going to do. He ends his questioning response by saying that he'll stand, watch, and wait for God's answer. So we move into chapter 2, verses 2 to 20, which is God's second response to Habakkuk. The Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits the appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. 
Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gains, settling his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and fortifying your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves to nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him, says the wood. Woe to him who says to the wood, come to life, or to the lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So here in verses 2 to 3, we see a strong encouragement that God's revelation will take place, even if it times it seems like it cannot or will not. Hold fast and remember what is said and make it so that it's available to all the people so they will also know. Verses 4 to 5 speak of what has verses 4 to 5 speak of what has already been said about what would happen, that he knows how things are with Babylon and the pride and greed, but he confirms that they will still carry off other nations into slavery, including Judah. Um, Within this is a key verse, uh, verse 4, which says, um, See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the key is, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. In contrast, and in the midst of the prevailing pride and greed that over righteousness, The righteous will continue to live by faith within the circumstances. They're not going to be removed from the situation, but they are to remain faithful within it. From verse 6 onwards, we see a series of woes pronounced for the injustice and wrongdoing of the Babylonians, followed by the consequences that will come because of each action. The reassertion that God will rescue his people, his glory will be seen in the world, and that he is in his temple and the earth will revere him. In chapter 3, following the second response, uh, it's very much like a psalm, and there's mention of elements of musical instructions. So it's possible that Habakkuk was uh, a priestly prophet and came out of that tradition. Let's read the psalm now. So, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. 
on Shigeonok. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your decrees, Lord. Repeat them in, in our day. In our own our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Why are you angry with the rivers, Lord? Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows and the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his iron spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I wait patiently for the day of calamity to come to the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instrument. So Habakkuk recounts the history of God's actions throughout time in poetic language. He speaks of many events in the history of Israel, from the plagues that led Pharaoh to letting them leave Egypt, to the encounter at Mount Paran, which is Mount Sinai, uh, referring to the Red Sea, where God's chariots make it through to victory while the Egyptian chariots drowned. And we're not going to go into all of the poetic imagery and the events that are covered uh, because I want to draw out a few things uh, the book has to say to us. So the book of Habakkuk, I think, provides us with a good example of what it looks like to wrestle with God with the difficult realities we face in this world. In fact, Habakkuk's name actually comes from the root word that means to wrestle or to embrace, embrace, which is what takes place in this book. Um, He wrestles with God's silent inaction, with God's revelation and seeming inconsistency with his character, and he finally comes to a place of embracing that revelation despite his lack of understanding, which we'll come back to in a minute. Um, There's a pattern in the Bible of people wrestling uh, with God. 
Um, and I think that it shows us that uh, it's not only okay for us to do that, but we're encouraged to do that. One of my favourite passages has always been Genesis 32, where Jacob wrestles with God until he blesses him. Um, Abraham wrestles with God over Sodom. Uh, the Psalms are full of the sort of questioning that Habakkuk shows in his second complaint. And Jesus wrestles with the Father before he goes to the cross. Paul refers to the thorn in his side that he asked God to, three times to remove. But how do we wrestle well with God? Um, Firstly, I think we need to go to God honestly. So what's the point of pretending with God? Either playing down how much something is affecting us or praying for something that you think you should rather than what you really want the answer to be? Um, he knows anyway. Um, so why, why are we not honest? Um, we see in the second complaint that Habakkuk challenges God with what he with what the experts can consider to be an insult. He doesn't hold back. But I'm not saying that we forget who we're dealing with or we treat God with contempt. Habakkuk's challenge, I think, holds intention, um, the raw honesty and confusion, while still acknowledging that God is God. Um, secondly, I think we need to be careful what we ask for. Don't expect to like the answers if they are given or to see the whole picture, or even to understand what he shows us. When Habakkuk was given an answer by God, it wasn't what he wanted to hear and actually led to a lot more questioning and wrestling. Um, and thirdly, um, wait well. How do we wait well? What do we do when there seems to be no answer given? The text doesn't give us details about the time frame of this series of dialogue between Habakkuk and God. Um, but I'd suggest that the first complaint seems to be referring to a series of prayers. Um, we see that he opens with how long, which implies that this is not the beginning. And we discussed earlier how the language gets more intense from calling out to crying out in angst. Um, but in this first complaint, his focus seems to be squarely on his circumstances and what he thinks the solution should be and his frustration that God's not doing what he expects. I think here it's an unhelpful posture that Habakkuk starts off with, with impatiently waiting for God to do the things that he expects um, and being frustrated. It seems that by the end of his second complaint, his posture seems to be changing. Um, as we said, he's wrestling with how the things that God said will happen fit with God's character. Um, but I think he comes to a place where he is waiting for God's answer. Um, I think it's significant that the language that is used is of a watchman on lookout on the city walls. I think it signifies two things, patience and perspective. Um, so watchmen would need to re remain at their post until their duty was complete. Uh, it implies that there was patience and diligence to wait in Habakkuk's case for as long as is needed until God's answer was provided. It's also significant that Habakkuk seems to be moving from being surrounded by his circumstances and only seeing them to a higher place on a rampart or a watchtower where he will be able to more clearly see what is happening further afield. It's not an easy thing 
but I think it's a helpful thing for us to try and look beyond the specific situation as we seek to understand what God's doing. Um, And finally, remember the key, God is God. So the key verse, I I think, in all of Habakkuk is chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. God is God. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His wisdom is beyond our comprehension. While he invites us to communicate with him and bring our struggles and questions to him, we ultimately need to come to a place of surrender. He doesn't owe us explanations and he has proven his character over time. We need to remember this and live by faith when we don't understand. Um, As we saw in Chapter 3, Habakkuk ends with a psalm recounting God's actions throughout history. Um, We've got many psalms and and other scriptures that we can draw on to remind us of God's faithfulness when we need reminding. I've found it helpful at times to journal prayers. It's been both encouraging and challenging at times to flick back through and recall the things that God has done in my own life, and that might be something that you find helpful too. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that um, you do invite us to be in relationship with you uh, and that you seek a genuine relationship with us. Um, I pray that you would um, help us when we are in times of wrestling with you to remember that you are God, um, to find comfort in knowing your character and Bring patience for us as we wait for answers. Thank you that we could be all be here together this morning and I pray that you would continue to speak to us as we fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.